Okay. I think we're live. Nicole, did you say? Okay, I was like, what the heck does this mean? All right, welcome everybody. Buonanotte. It's Italian. Okay. Good to see you too. All right, let's say a prayer and we'll jump in and go from there. All right. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord God, as always, tonight. Um, Lord, I want all of us tonight, myself included, I want us to just leave behind uh, our day-by-day -day concerns. Um, Lord, tonight we pray for our country. We pray for uh, peace. Uh, we pray that you would guide our country to unity. But very intentionally, Jesus, we leave behind um, politics tonight. Uh, we leave behind worldly kind of anxieties. Lord, help us to turn our hearts and our minds to you and towards heaven um, to be free for that, not to let go of fears. Um, bless everyone here. Bless those who are not here. Um, Jesus, may you draw us all close to you. We make our prayer through Christ our Lord. Amen. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Okay, we're going to do a few Q&A things to start tonight. So, um, this is jumping a bit, but that's okay. Is there a proper way to venerate relics? So the first question would be, what's a relic? Does anybody know what a relic is? I'm Don't. Not you're not, that's right, you're not allowed <laughs> to answer questions. <laughs> um, yeah, what's a relic? Yes. Good, that's right. Isn't that weird to say? Yeah. yeah. It's like a piece of clothing or a bodily part of a saint. Or something that touched a saint. Um, so, quick story on this. When I was a focused missionary, do you know, like, the worst Christian song ever written? And the guy who wrote it, I actually love his music in general. But um, worst song ever written in Christian music is Our God is an Awesome God. In my personal opinion, do you guys know that one? Stop. Um, but anyway, like so that that the chorus says, "Our God is an awesome God." So when I was a focused missionary, we would talk about relics. So relics are pieces of saints' bodies or clothing, or it could be like if I took something and I touched it to a saint's body while they were alive. And um, sometimes they actually heal people. Sometimes they're just objects where we kind of pray with them. And so when I was a focused missionary, some of the missionaries rewrote the words to that, and they just said, our God is a creepy God. And they, like, worked in, like, relics, because it's kind of creepy. It's like, it's like, Lord, I love you. This is kind of weird, right? And, like, there's incorrupt saints. If you go to Rome, this is crazy. If you go to Rome and different parts of Europe where different saints are buried, certain saints are incorrupt, and it's just kind of weird where like their bodies don't decay 
And some of them, St. Bernadette, who is the saint who saw Mary at Our Lady of Lourdes in France, I've never been to her tomb, but they say when you see her, she looks like she just fell asleep yes, like a couple hours ago, and she died, you know, I don't know, what, 150 years ago or something? It's crazy. Um, but then there's other saints who are like partially incorrupt. So like they're decaying, but very, very, very slowly. And so we're like, God, you're, that's kind of weird, you know? Yes. Yes. Yeah, St. Catherine would be one of them, yeah. Yep. Yes. Exactly. So it's kind of weird. Okay, so how do we make sense of this? What is this about? Here's, here's what this is about. So if you're a Bible person, I'm going to pull this forward just a touch. Um, if you're a Bible person, maybe I won't. Um, Romans 6.23 is a good verse here. And so Romans 6.23 says, The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. And here's, this is, this is powerful stuff, actually. And so here's the thing, is that um, relics, what they are, we have some upstairs. When we talk about the Mass and what we do on Sunday as Catholics, we're going to go upstairs and just walk through and be like, why do we do this? Why do we do that? Why do we kneel? Why do we, et cetera, et cetera. It's Miranda's favorite class. Um, we'll do all that. We have a couple relics upstairs in the altar. Um, and we'll talk about why that's the case. But here's the basic point. Death is an evil thing. 1 Corinthians 15 is the longest chapter in the New Testament on the resurrection. And the, the Christian idea is that God never intended death. After the resurrection of Christ, death can take on hope and can actually be something that brings us hope for the next life. And it should do that for Christians. But on just a very basic level, death is an evil thing. And it's connected to sin. And that's what Romans 6.23 says. Sin and death are connected. And so if you think about this, we're going to talk tonight about this. In Genesis chapter 3, when Adam and Eve eat of the fruit of the tree of knowledge, God says, you shall not eat of that tree lest you die. And so there's, there's a connection between sin Christians believe this. We believe, by the way, that God never intended any of us to die. Um, when, you, when someone you love dies, it, something feels very wrong. And it should. Sometimes we feel also, by the way, you might feel like it was good. My, you know, my grandmother was suffering. She was in a very bad place, and I didn't want to see her suffering anymore. That's also a very natural feeling to encounter. But the whole process by which a person enters into death, Christians are very clear that was that is not something that is good. So 1 Corinthians 15, St. Paul says that death is the last enemy that will be conquered by Christ. So what are relics about? 
So Adam and Eve, we believe if they had not sinned in the garden, they never would have died. And so we're going to talk tonight about this. Um, but one of the things that, they, that when you achieve a very, very high degree of holiness, one of the things that happens, what God wants to do, what redemption's about, redemption, and we're going to talk about this. Um, so the caricature of Christianity sometimes is like to be a Christian is like, I check the box. You believe the right things. Okay, is Jesus God? Did he die on a cross? Did he rise from the dead? Okay, FB, I believe it. Okay, check. <clears throat> um, okay, you believe this. Um, are you living a moral life? Stop smoking crack. Okay, we're all going to agree that's not. We're all going to stop smoking crack. Okay, check. Right? Here's what I want to get you to. That's not what Christianity is. Christianity was never that. It, it never will be that. The official teaching of Catholicism has never said that that is what it means to be a Christian. So much of what Christianity is about is that God in Jesus Christ, God wants to make things the way they should be. And like, if you look at your own life, and I look at mine, I'm like, I'm just basically a mess, and I try to like put myself together and look, you know, decent, whatever. Put on my best face, um, what God wants to do is I'm a mess and the world's a mess and in the love of God through Jesus Christ God wants to set things right so the weird stuff of like okay St. Catherine of Siena incorrupt kind of what's happening there in the church's theology is that St. Catherine of Siena became so holy that the effects of death are on their way to being undone. That's pretty badass. Sorry if there's kids at home. <laughs> That's amazing, right? Like, you were not intended to die, and so the, um, what happens in some of the great saints is certain parts of the original plan of God, and for the overwhelming majority of us, this will not happen, you know, for 99.9999999999% of us, this is what's going to happen on the last day. But with great saints like St. Bernadette, who died like 150 years ago, and you, you go to visit her, and it looks like she just is taking a nap. What's going on there? It's not just like magic. What's happening is that God did not intend decay and death. Relics are a part of that. And so what happens is that God wants to break into this world. And by the way, relics tend to come from a world we don't understand. So um, one more term to answer this question. I don't need to write it. Um, there's, a, there's a term I love called chronological snobbery. So chronological snobbery means because I live now and you lived 100 years ago or 200 or 800 or 4,000 years ago, I'm better than you. That's chronological summary. Different times in history did not think the way that we think in 2020 America. That doesn't mean there hasn't been progress. It doesn't mean there aren't certain things we know better. Of course there are. But there's, there's kind of this thing people have where they're like, 
those idiot sixth century people. And the only people I know who say things like that are people who have never studied history. Right, so like a common thing, just one example is like, you know, oh, like all the ancient world thought the world was flat. Um, Aristotle in the fourth century BC knew it was round. 400 years before Christ. You won't learn that in your history text, but Aristotle proved that in the fourth century BC. Um, there's all kinds of things like that. Um, how did I get on this? So with relics, people think differently than us. And sometimes you've got to learn to be like, okay, I don't see this the same way. And honestly, I don't either. Like St. Anthony of Padua, I think it is. I think his tongue is somewhere and it's incorrupt. That's weird, right? Like if one of you is super holy and you die, I'm not going to be like, give me that tongue. We're going to put it in a box and put it on display. Like I would never do that. That's just weird and creepy. People in previous ages didn't think the way that we do. So last thing is this. In the Bible, what God wants to do is he wants to enter into physical like reality, which is what happened when God became man, and he wants to transform physical reality. So all through the Bible, you have, like for instance, Elijah, um, and different places where like parts of holy people's bodies or their clothing heal people. In Acts of the Apostles, Peter's shadow falls on people and they're healed of their diseases. Um, in Mark chapter 4 and 5, you have the story of the hemorrhaging woman. We're going to talk about that when we talk about sacraments. And uh, the hemorrhaging woman reaches out and touches the fringe of Jesus' garment and she's healed. So a lot of the basic answer about um, relics is that you don't just have a soul, you actually have a body. And the, the radical Christian teaching, and this is radical, is that your body is not evil. That's actually radical. Christians have taught that. And in the ancient world, so for instance, in like the 5th century, I want to say, I have to look up his dates, there's a famous Roman doctor named Galen, and he says there's two really, really strange things about Christians. One is he says they're incredibly disciplined about what they do sexually. And secondly, he says they actually believe that bodies are good and they believe in the resurrection of the dead. So relics are kind of like that. So, oh, I didn't answer the question. How do you properly venerate a relic? Usually people, a relic, it's, it's going to be a little tiny like circle, it's like a little circle case. And there might be a piece of like a bone in there or something. And the proper thing is usually just like make the sign of the cross with it. Um, some people will kiss it, something like that. But there's no like right or wrong. Just don't throw it against a wall or whatever. Okay, is that fair answer? Well, I have a question on that. Yes. Would it be inappropriate to genuflect though? Right. So, <clears throat> would it be inappropriate to genuflect? The church would say generally like so. Again, this is a, comes from a different time. So. Here's an important distinction. So there are things the church teaches. There's different levels of teaching. This is massively important. We're going to talk about this when we talk about can church teaching change. And maybe we'll just hit that right now. There, the highest level of Catholic teachings are dogmas. Those cannot change. And so... Um, but from dogmas, 
you have you have teachings that derive down there from them. So you have things like doctrines, and you have disciplines. And so the highest level of, of Catholic teaching we believe comes not from the church, but from God. From God Himself. And so John Paul II, for instance, when we talk about why can't women be priests? What John Paul II said when he answered that question is he said, this is actually revealed by God. And so he actually said, you know what? I just don't have authority to change it. Cannot change. Disciplines, for instance, can change them. So a dogma of the church is that Jesus Christ died for you because he loved you on a Friday at 3 o'clock. That's a dogma of the church. A, a doctrine, maybe, would be that we should revere that, we should honor that. A discipline is one of the ways that we honor Jesus' death on the cross, is we fast from meat on Friday. And here's the thing. Christianity is not about fasting from meat. That's not what it's about. What it's about is Jesus died on the cross on a Friday. And what happened was the church said, okay, um, that's true. And to help all of us realize how important that is, let's all do something together. And so the church said, let's fast from meat on Fridays. That just happened all over the world, every Friday, all through the year. The church changed that at the Second Vatican Council. And the reason it changed it was because we realized that in a lot of cultures, people never eat meat. And so that wasn't a big, meaningful thing for them. So the church changed it. And people say, oh, look, Catholic teaching changed. Change your teaching. And... What we believe about Catholic teaching is that dogma never changes. Protected by the Holy Spirit. We might get to that tonight. We'll see. Um, what was your original question? Genuflecting. Genuflecting. So, here's how that relates. So, what the church would say, to put it under this paradigm, is that it's good to revere relics. So let's just say saints. Doesn't mean worship. We're going to talk about that. Maybe we should talk about that, too. You guys always get me off track. This is, like, so hard to teach this class. Love it. Um, we should revere saints. We, that does not equal worship. Not the same thing. We'll talk about that in a second. Um, but there's different ways to do that. So should you genuflect? Well, in medieval and ancient culture, you would always, your right knee was for God, and your left knee was for your king. So we still have that in the church today. So when you go to Mass and the Eucharist is in the tabernacle, the gold box in the church, we believe Jesus is physically present there. So my right knee is for him. Now, is that really what it means to be a Christian? Of course it's not what it means to be a Christian. Could that change? Of course it could change. Could it change that we are supposed to revere God and worship him alone? Does that kind of make sense? Yeah. Well, like in some newer Catholic churches, they don't even have kneelers anymore. Right. So 
That's okay. Yeah, so um, so some Catholic churches don't have years. So they should, at least in the United States. So the church has, and we'll get to this, about authority of worship. I don't know when, but come back at me at some point if I don't get to it. Um, so kneeling is not absolutely essential, but the church has authority over these things. And I will just tell you this, usually when they don't have kneelers, that's a disobedient church. In the United States, at least, that is a disobedient church. Because the United States bishops and like the great tradition of the church for 2,000 years, you might kneel here or there at different points. It might change a little bit. Like if you go to Europe, they're not going to kneel at all the same places we do. But in the United States, when you usually encounter that, that's a priest who is trying to be disobedient. And I'm just going to say that straight up. I've encountered many of them. They are disobeying what the church asks. So they, the church could change that. It's not an essential dogma. Okay. It's an expression. It's part of a discipline. Um, but, like, maybe the last thing I would say about this is, like, when you go to Mass, if I'm like, bless you, um, sometimes at Mass, people are like, priests have really good intentions. We're going to get to this when we talk about how to worship God. When we talk about the Eucharist. People have the best of intentions, I usually assume it. If we had church my way, it might look a little different. I would always wear flip-flops, right? Always. Um, and like, I know we might do things a little differently. And a lot of times you'll, you'll see some priests out there who are like, hey, you know, like we always say Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, have mercy on us. I'm going to spice things up a little bit. You know, and you'll see priests do this. They'll say like, Jesus, who turned water into wine at Galilee, have mercy on us. Which is true, he did do that. And usually what they're doing is they're saying, I want to engage my people. Here's a problem. The mass does not belong to me. When we talk about the mass, we'll get to this. The way Christians worship God is not about me. I don't get to decide it. Actually, we believe as Catholics, that belongs to Jesus Christ himself. Okay, way off topic, and it's all your fault. Any last questions? Okay, so here we go. So, um, does anybody want to remind us what we talked about last class? Yeah. Genesis seven days covenant explanation of how God created the world in seven days. Thank you. You just made me feel like a good teacher. Thank you. Love it. <laughs> yeah, so Genesis 7 days, right? We talked, remember, 7 for Hebrews, the number of covenant. So it's not just any number. It actually means the building of a family. Um, we talked about Genesis 21 and the well of the oath. And then when a, when a Jewish person reads Genesis, they don't just see like, kind of the succession of days and scientific questions, what they see is a text that tells us that God is in relationship with the world. That is the ancient tradition of both Judaism and Catholicism. And if you try to read the Bible a different way, it's a category mistake. Remember my example, right? If one of you guys comes to me and they're like, they're like, oh, Father Brian. So, like, I just, my heart's beating out of my chest. I just love this guy so much. Can you tell me about the heart? I'm like, yes. 
I've got this. I know everything. I know everything about the heart. And I'm like, this is the most up-to-date textbook on the anatomy of the heart. Right? Let's talk about the ventricles. Right? Like, category mistake, right? And that's what people do with Genesis. They try to impose a question that's related, but has nothing, it is not the question the Bible is trying to talk about. It is not what Genesis is about. Okay, so that was last week. What I want to do tonight is I want to get you guys on the way. We are still, remember the three big questions you have to answer to be a Catholic? Right, the first one is what? Do you believe in God? Does God exist, right? What's the second question? Is Jesus God? So we're still, we're in that portion, and I have not fully given you the kind of the church's kind of witness on this. I can't give you the full thing. We would be here for years, for the rest of our lives, honestly. But that's where we're at. But to understand that, you've got to understand the story. So imagine, um, I'm so, I never watch, well, I do watch some movies with friends, but what's like an epic movie today? Is there any, are there any epic movies? The only thing I can think of is Lord of the Rings, but that's like 20 years old. It's not Wedding Crashers. You suck. Yeah. Are there any like epic movies out there? Okay, so, but does everybody at least know a little bit about Lord of the Rings? If you, so Lord of the Rings, right? Um, I love that, that story. I've read the book four times, I think. Um, but if you're watching the movies, and what, if you came in, and the end of the movie, you're in the third movie, and the very climax, the end of the third movie, you've never seen any of it. You, someone, you're, you're watching, your friend walks in. And your friend says, who is that creepy looking guy? What's that ring? And why is he wrestling with that like three foot tall dude? You would say, shut up. Go home, watch the previous 18 hours. <laughs> And come talk to me then, right? To understand the end of a story, you have to, under, you have to watch the whole story, right? What happened, one of the big problems we have in the modern world is people want to have questions about Jesus, and they omit nine-tenths of the story. You can only understand who Jesus is if you understand the story that built up to him. He assumes, by the way, in his life, he assumes that you understand the story. So here we go. That's what we're going to hit tonight. Um, and I'll do my best. Okay, any questions before we dive into that? Okay, here we go. So the story of the Bible, a couple radical things here. So we talked last week uh, in Genesis 1... God creates the world and the world is good. This is a really important point. Um, both in the ancient world and all of history that we know of, how you answer the question is the world good is it has massive consequences. Um, 
massive. And so what the church believes and what the Bible teaches is that God created the world good. And this is worth thinking about for a second. So, it, like, there could be two extremes on this. And I think we're going to talk a lot in, in this class about how it's easier to live your life in extremes. It's, it could be easy to say, well, the world's all good or the world's all bad. Right? So you know those people who are, like, just always bubblegum happy? They drive me nuts. Right? <laughs> like, there's, there's a priest who, like, it's just how he is and now we're friends. But when I first met him, like, we were in seminary. I wasn't a priest yet, and he was in seminary. And he would be like, Brian. <laughs> Brian! How are you? And I'm like, don't touch me. <laughs> like, I don't know you. We have not met. You can't be this happy. Stay away from me. Right? Something is a little wrong there. And I'm always like, people who are always just like, man, life is awesome. Isn't God good? <laughs> Sunshine? Yeah. All right. <laughs> you know? um, if you're one of those people, I, I struggle with you. Um, some people are like that, right? Um, other people, I sympathize a little more with them, but they can go off the deep end the other way, right? There are some people who are like, they can never be happy. Ever. Right? Patrick and Stephanie would tell you I'm kind of this way. Um, but like Pope Francis, in one of his encyclicals, he says this. He says, oftentimes in life, there's many of us who we act as if everything would have to be perfect for us to just be happy just a little bit. Something's wrong there. Right? And you meet these people who it's like, they just, you're like, could you just smile? By the way, if you come to Mass at Lords, I can see you. Some of you look this way. I, I'm like saying Mass, and there's like people who are like, you just smirk. I don't think you're that way. <laughs> But some people come to Mass, and like I start my homily, and they slouch back in their pew, and they're like, <sighs> I just want to tell you that affects me, okay? <laughs> I have a heart, too, <laughs> like, okay? I'm like, if I'm putting you in that much pain, <laughs> there are other churches, okay? <laughs> um, here's the Catholic and the Christian vision. God made the world good. But Genesis 3 tells us that the world is broken. And the world is broken because of sin. And I love this. I don't know how you make sense. I think most of us don't think about this a lot. But the Christian vision of the world is that the world is good, but something's wrong. And if you think about yourself, think about yourself. You are good. God created you good. And something's wrong. Right? God made me good. Something's wrong. Um, we're going to talk tonight about sin and what that means and the Catholic vision of this. But a quick preview on this. Um, is you ever had the alignment off in your car? This means yes. Right now. Right? It's a pain in the butt. When the alignment's off in your car, right, you always have to pull on it, right? And it just feels weird. You're like, if I let go of the steering wheel, it's just going to go off. This is the Catholic vision of how we are. You would never say, if you're like, if I'm like, hey, 
So I, I drive a Ford Escape. My friend Father Jason calls it my Escape. Um, <laughs> if my Ford Escape has, if its alignment is off, and you're like, hey, FB, how's your car? And my alignment's off, I'm not going to be like, worst car ever. No, I'm going to be like, it's a great car. The alignment's off. It's a pain in the butt. It annoys me, and I've got to be vigilant to keep it straight. This is what Christians believe about the world, is that the world is good, but through sin, and we're going to talk about that again in a little bit here, something's wrong. So the rest of the Bible and Christian, the Christian story and the vision of what it means to be a Catholic is really about how God is going to fix that problem. When you say world, does that mean the physical world? Does it mean humans inside the world, just humans? Yeah, good question. So does it mean, and just for our televised audience, yeah. does it mean the physical world, just humans, spiritual, what, what does that mean? All of the above. Okay. So, um, so outside of those who are in heaven now, um, and the angels, um, and God himself, of course, all of cre the created universe, something's wrong. Um, so that means, so in Genesis 3, what happens is God says this, when, he, when there's the curse that falls on Adam and Eve, and hopefully we'll make sense of this tonight, we'll find out, who knows. Um, so, uh, God says to Adam, he says, because you have done this, or to the serpent, I'm sorry, this is Genesis 3.14. Um, the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all cattle and above all wild animals. Upon your belly shall you go. And he goes on with the curse of the uh, serpent. Down in verse 18, um, or sorry, let's back up, uh, 17. God said to Adam, because you have listened to the voice of your, of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. So I go on and on. The key verses here are Genesis 3 and then Romans chapter 8. And so what Christians believe is that there's something wrong with the world, and because, because human beings are the crown of creation, we are meant to be the priests of creation, the high priests, and the image of God, right? We talked last week about how Adam and Eve were made in the image and likeness of God, that when we fell, it affected everything. So in Romans 8, St. Paul says that when Christ redeems the world, not only will human beings have redemption, but actually that the whole world will share in that redemption. And so there's, there's something about the world, and I don't know exactly what this looks like, no one does, but there's something about the world that will be redeemed and renewed. And here's, this is the key, what I want to drive home to you tonight, one of many points, is that the normal way of looking at things is like Christianity means God created me, I, I am a sinner, Jesus loved me, and so I get to go to heaven. 
There's truth to that, but it's radically incomplete. Here's why Christians are different from every other group in the history of the world, except for Jews. It's just because of this. And, he, and this is so powerful. It took me years and years to understand this in my faith and study and prayer to come to this. But this is really, this is the Catholic view of this. Is that in the ancient world, I'm jumping way ahead here, in the ancient world, everyone believes in heaven. How many of you have someone who is not a Christian in your life that believes in heaven? Get your hands up. Every, don't you have, a, have you ever had a friend who's not, doesn't, isn't a Christian but believes that heaven's real? I don't know. Maybe I'm, I'm the priest, so I don't know. I tend to, like, like, I will tell you this. When I have funerals and people die, people who never go to church are not Christians, they always come up to me and they say, Father, she's in heaven. Maybe they're just saying that, and they're just saying something nice in a hard time. That might be true. But here, here's the point. Resurrection, these markers are dead. Um, resurrection is not the same thing as heaven. Heaven, right, means that, like, imagine your soul, I die today. Like, so, so people say, oh, Father Brian, your grandmother's in heaven. My grandmother, I buried her at Mount Olivet Cemetery. Her body is at Mount Olivet Cemetery. I've been there many, many times to pray. That's where her body is. So when we say she is in heaven, her body is in Mount Olivet, in Wheat Ridge, Colorado. What the ancient world believed is that your body was bad, your soul is good, and your soul goes to heaven. When, and the reason, and one of the ways we see this, that people thought the body was bad, what, do you know what non-Christians and non-Jews did in the ancient world when someone dies? What do they do with the body? They burn it. Go read the Iliad of the Odyssey. Non-Jewish or Christian cultures, they all believe in heaven, every one of them. Go watch Gladiator. Being a Gladiator, like one of the top five movies ever. Being a Gladiator, right? Uh, Maximus is with his troops in Germania, and he says, if you find yourself riding in fields of gold and the sun is shining on your face, don't look back because you're already in Elysium. You know what Elysium is? It's heaven. It's a Roman idea of heaven. Guess what's not there? Your body, because your body sucks. It gets fat, right? It gets diseases. It gets cold and hot, right? You don't have a body, you just have a soul. Christians are what the resurrection means, and this is, I, I know this is a lot, hang with me, I know this is a lot, hang with me. What Christianity believes is God created a good world, it was broken in sin, and God doesn't just throw it away. The resurrection is the symbol that God loves his good creation and he doesn't cast it out to the trash heap. But he redeems it from the inside out. He raises it from the dead. Otherwise, if you ever wondered, right, lots of people will wonder, if you're a Christian, if God's going to bring us to heaven, why does he just do it now? Do you ever wonder that? It means yes. It means no. Why doesn't God just bring us now? What's the big deal? Why do we have to go through all this stuff? The answer is that God created a good world. It was broken in sin. Something's wrong. Right? My car is a good car. 
this alignment's off. And what, what Christianity is about and what God is doing is he wants to break into this world to make things right. That's why Jesus didn't just call us to heaven, say, okay, come to heaven, come here. The rector in the seminary, he used to like call us like, a, like dogs because he, he had a dog and he just couldn't help it. His, his dog name was Bart. But he'd be like, you get, when you have a dog, you're kind of like, come here, Bart, come here. And he'd be like, he's just used to it. So he's like, Brian, come on, Brian, let's go. Come on, Brian. I'm like, I am not a dog. Okay, let's take a five-minute break. We're going to pick up. We're going to talk about what sin is, and we're going to talk about how God is working to redeem the world.
Very good. That's a really important question, actually. Do we have any beer? Beer? Yeah. All right, are you ready, everybody? Yeah. Okay, everybody's tired tonight. Um, I want to keep hitting this, so we need to talk about the great question we had about why was there, why did God allow Adam and Eve to sin? That's a huge question. We need to talk about Noah and what's happening with Noah, and we'll build from there. Um, is everybody, I, I, I kind of don't want to talk about this, but I wonder if we should. Um, Catholics and politics. Do we need to talk about that? No? Um, well, the go- yeah, I mean, I wasn't planning on it. The gospel is very political, but I'm not going to, I'm not going to, like, do what you all fear, I guess. Okay, well, let's just, let's keep moving. If you have questions about Catholics and politics, we will talk about that. Um, the, the New Testament is extraordinarily political. The word Christ means king. Jesus is crucified under a political charge. Um, and the New Testament talks about politics on almost every page. So we will talk about that, and we'll talk about the idea of like politics and religion don't mix is a 19th century idea that came from anti-Christian thinkers. Um, we'll talk about that. We, of course, there are limits. And someone asked me like, last week about like why is church trying to impose ideas of marriage on the culture? That's a related question, but let's just keep moving. <laughs> okay, so why did God allow Adam and Eve to sin? Right? You were supposed to remind me of this. I did. Okay. Okay, good. Okay. So huge question, right? And this is this could go we could spend a semester course on this, but I'm gonna give you, I think, an answer that's very good. It's not a hundred percent there, but it's pretty darn good. Um, so, um, first you have to think of me as a high school kid and being super like desired by the ladies. Okay, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, no, the um, let's just think of any high school kid. So let's just pick on Miranda. Okay, so Miranda's in high school and she has a huge crush on a guy named Steve. Let's say, okay. She's in high school, and Steve, and she's just like, you know, you're high school, you're kind of awkward, and you're just like, oh my gosh, Steve, I just love him, right? And so Miranda's in high school, and she's just like, when, when is Steve gonna ask me out? And I'm just dying for the day that Steve is actually gonna take me on a date. And she's waiting, and she's nervous, and does she know that, you know, that I feel this way? And one day. Miranda's in the hallway, and Steve comes up and asks her out, and he asks her to go to prom with him. Okay, how does Miranda feel? Thrilled, right? Super happy, right? The way any of us would feel, right? So Miranda feels great. She's like, oh my gosh, she calls her friends. Steve asked me to prom. This is what I've always wanted. Um, Miranda goes home that night, 
She talks to her dad, and she finds out that her dad had asked Steve's dad, hey, my daughter has a big crush on your son. Could you just kind of give him a little nudge and have her ask Miranda to prom? How does Miranda feel now? Mortified, right? Um, how do you feel, Miranda? Mortified. Mortified. <laughs> this is the answer to why there's a tree in Genesis. And here's why. is because love has to be free. Love has to be free. And so what we always wonder is, couldn't God have created a world where we would be perfectly joyful and there would be no possibility of things going wrong. And the answer to that is that love is a free thing. And so what I always say is, at this point in class is that God's a gambler. So when, I, when you ask a girl out, guys, you know this. My friend, um, a good friend of mine says this. He always, he's been married a long time. But he always said when he, asked, when he first asked his wife out, he didn't want her to go out with him. He wanted her to want to go out with him. I love that. <laughs> I get emotional about this stuff. But he, always, he has a great talk, and he talks about how, he's like, imagine his name's Curtis. And he's like, he's like imagine if I asked out Michael Ann. And Michael Ann said, well, I'm kind of broke. I don't have anything to do. All right, I guess I'll go to dinner with you. <laughs> right? Like, what a guy wants when he asks a girl out, he doesn't want her to go to dinner with him. He wants her to want to go to dinner with him. Right? Oh, don't you love romance lessons from the priests? <laughs> right? That's what I want. And so love can't be love if it's, not, if it's not free. And so the point is, is that for Adam and Eve to truly love God, and for you to love God, and this is the drama of your life, is that God does not just, he does not just want you to be a slave who like must do what they're told. God wants your heart. And so for Adam and Eve to love God, there has to be the possibility that they would choose not to. Um, so we'll talk a lot about sin, and maybe this is a good point to dive into that. Before we do that, more questions about that answer, pushback. Isn't that a good answer? This is, and this is the thing. God created all of us. Um, God does not just want you to obey. The caricature of Christianity is God wants you to obey. That's not Christianity. God wants you to obey because you love him. So when you, right, in your, in your, if you're married, in your marriage, you want your spouse to, not you don't want to obey you, but let's just say, like, if you ask your spouse to do something for you, you don't want them to be like, well, I guess I made a vow in the church. All right. Right? No, that's not what you want. The New Testament and the Old Testament both 
are emphatic that there is this thing called loving obedience. And the obedience of a Christian is not, this is so critical, the obedience of a Christian is not military obedience. The obedience of a Christian is not military obedience. The obedience of a Christian is not military obedience. The obedience of a Christian is the obedience of love. So God allowed Adam and Eve to have a free choice because he didn't want them to obey, he wanted them to love him. And if he wanted us just to obey, he could have just made a bunch of plants. Right? They grow when he says grow and shrink when he says shrink. Right? Just don't send rain. Right? Does that 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 is what this is all about. Right? And that's what makes Christianity the most powerful story, what makes our lives amazing, is that you and I have a choice. And if we didn't have a choice, there is, there is no blame. Wouldn't that be great? I always hope for no blame. Because I'm like, I'm a screw-up, I'm a sinner, and I would love it if there was no blame. But if there's no blame, there's also nothing worth merit or praise. So we'll get to this when we talk about morality. We'll talk about freedom. Um, freedom... We need these markers, I think, to sit like that. Um, but with freedom, right, like, freedom is a source of praise or blame. Right, people today who say, like, we can't blame someone, like, it's not their fault. Well, if you, that, there's, sometimes there's real truth to that. But if you can't hold someone responsible, neither can you praise them for choosing something they didn't have to choose. And um, I just can't hit that enough. My friend Caitlin, very good friend of mine, her husband Cole, both are great friends, their kids. Um, Caitlin helped me realize this way back when I was in seminary because she was discerning. She knew Cole was going to propose to her. And like she's like, how do I know? How do I know if I'm supposed to marry Cole? They've been married now for, I don't know, probably 15 or 16 years. Um, they've got four beautiful kids. Um, but, um, but I remember Caitlin and I talking about it and I was like, you don't know. You're never going to know. God's not going to send you a note that says, Caitlin, you will marry Cole. Your first child will be named Tavian. Right? Like, he's not going to do that. But what makes it so beautiful and so powerful, and it's so cool because Caitlin and I got super close just talking about this stuff, is that, um, see, you, you can let your girlfriend talk to a seminarian. It's okay. Um, but anyway, I was talking to Caitlin, and I was like, when Cole proposes to you, he doesn't know either. He doesn't know. He's taking a risk and he's saying, you know what? I don't know everything. But if I have to choose, right? Like I choose you. So powerful. I freaking love that song. Okay. This is why I'm celibate. Okay. Um, all right, let's talk about sin and then we'll hit the rest of the story. Any more questions about any of that? Anybody? Sin, here's why sin is bad. Sin is not just about breaking rules. Sin is about breaking relationship. That's why sin is bad. Sin destroys our relationships with each other. That's why sin is bad. That's why God hates sin, by the way. God doesn't hate sin because he's like, you know, we, we tend to think of sin as like a curfew. It's like, all right, your curfew's 10 o'clock. It's 10.03. Right? We think sin that way. 
Sin is about the destruction of relationships. That's what sin is. So we believe as Catholics that in the, in the creation, Adam and Eve... That's not working. Let's try one more. Try to place this. Okay. See if this works. Um, um, so Adam and Eve in the garden, there's four relationships they have that we believe God created. And here's, I guess we're hitting original sin tonight. Um, they had perfect relationships with God. They're in harmony with God. And Genesis talks about this. It says that Adam and Eve walked with God in the cool of the evening. They're in relationship with him. And what happens, that's symbolized in, the, in Genesis 1 and 2 by where they're at. And we'll, we'll talk about that. So they had perfect relationship with God. They also had a perfect relationship with each other. The third one they have one with is, um, I remember, creation. So Adam and Eve are in harmony with creation. And lastly, they're in harmony and peace with themselves. Sin breaks relationships. So when Adam and Eve sin, they have to go, in Genesis 3, they have to go east of Eden. They're cast out of the garden. Does it ever feel like that? If you have, a, if you have someone in your life who's hurt you, or that you've hurt, what happens? You distance from each other. And often, physically, right? I have people in my life that we have sinned against each other. It was mostly their fault. Always. <laughs> but you get to a place where it's like you can't, you have to separate. I have, you have times in your life when you do something wrong where you feel distant from God. Sin separates us from God. Creation as well, right? Like this is a big theme of Pope Francis, and it's true, is that um, we can become alienated from creation. By the way, this is what St. Francis is about. You know how every garden has St. Francis, and he's like, and the birds are chirping on his arms, which is really a caricature of St. Francis, and it's a really big misunderstanding of who he is. But St. Francis had a um, healing of his relationship with creation, and there was some weird stuff, weird things that happened to him because he attained such a level of holiness that that relationship with creation was at least partially restored. It's crazy stuff. That, don't expect that. Well, you should. I hope all of you will be great saints and you will have that happen. And then, of course, with ourselves, and this is, this is a big one, um, so many of us in our life, we're at war with ourselves. And we're into, that's our next topic is, we'll talk about, we're going to jump into original sin because that's what we're talking about. Um, there's a war inside of me. 
and there's a war inside of you because you know there's a certain way you should live your life and you don't really want to. Um, we're going to add that really quick right now. But anyway, what we believe about what happened, right? The world was good. Those relationships are broken by the sin of Adam and Eve. And God's going to work to make things right. And in Christ, he's not just going to make them right. He's going to transform them into something they never could have been otherwise. Let's pause. Questions, thoughts, complaints. Stephanie. Um, what happens to the So people who died before Jesus came are screwed. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> this is why they don't let me teach CCD for kids. <laughs> no, we don't believe that. So the Old Testament, there's in, in the Old Testament, the word for the place of the dead is called Sheol. In Hebrew. Sheol is the place of the dead. And in Hebrew or sorry, in Greek, the Greeks had an idea of this, but it's not the same. The Greeks, the, the Greek word for that is Hades. Um, now here's the deal. What, what Christians believe is that heaven is only opened through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. There's, and we're going to talk about this when we talk about the, the solutions to the problem. There are some problems in your life that are too big for you. There's some things that I'm just, I can't fix. And so God came, and that's so much of the good news of the gospel, is like, when you understand, like, right, like, if you were in debt, and the, the New Testament, we'll see, we'll use this analogy, if you were in debt to a degree that you could never repay the debt, and someone paid it for you, you would be so happy, beyond belief. The New Testament uses that analogy for what Christ did for us. That we had a debt before God, we had, a, we had something we could never pay back. It was impossible. None of us could do it. And it, so someone came and paid our debt for us because he loved us. Um, anyway, so people who lived before, lived before Christ, what the New Testament teaches, 1 Peter chapter 3 is about this, is that they went to what's called the place of the dead. That's that it's not hell. It's not heaven. It's not the like a place of pure sunshine and like, you know, bunny rabbits dancing around. Something's wrong. Doesn't necessarily mean it's a place of great suffering, but it's almost like a holding place until Christ rises from the dead. What First Peter three says is that when Christ died on the cross, what he did is he went here. And he preached the good news of the gospel to all those who lived before him and those who believed in him. And we'll talk about how that lines up with the way you live your life. Um, those who believed in him, they come with him. And the gospels, I forget which one, reports that when Jesus rose from the dead, that there were people rising out of the graves everywhere. So, we don't believe that people who live before Christ are just out of luck, but that actually, like, Christ's redemption is universal. It is for everyone. Um, 
Doesn't matter what language you speak, doesn't matter what gender you are, doesn't matter what culture you have or what time you live in, the, the redemption of Christ reaches to all time and all places. We'll talk about that. How do you go to heaven? So we don't believe everyone goes to heaven. Okay. I'm an optimist about how many people go to heaven, but I don't know the number. God hasn't told me yet. I just hope I make it. Um, but we'll talk about what the Catholic Church believes about how does, how does a person go to heaven. We'll talk about that. Yeah. So in the creed, when it says we descended into hell, is this what... Exactly, yeah. And it's tricky because... Um, yeah, but that's what it means. This is when we say he descended into hell, that's exactly what it's talking about. The Greek in 1 Peter 3, when it says he went there, it doesn't use the word Hades or Gehenna or Sheol. Gehenna is another Greek word. That means more hell like we think of it. In 1 Peter 3, the word he uses is phulake, which means prison. So it says he went and preached to the souls in prison. I'll bring an icon sometime that is my favorite icon about this. It is so beautiful. I just love it. I'll just come and bring that one one night of class. All right, anybody else? No. Okay. So, the world's good. Sin creates problem. And, and I just would challenge you. This is not just like, okay, that's an interesting theory. Look at your life. Look at the world around you. Look at what you see in our universe. This is the only way I know how to make sense of it. People who I don't generally like, if I spend more time with them, I start to like them. You know why? Because God made them good. Father Glenn used to say that the hardest dogma to accept of all Catholic teaching is that God made every person good. He's a cynic. (laughs) But he did. And a lot of us have a hard time seeing that in ourselves. But this, to me, it just makes sense of the world. God made me good. There's some stuff in me that's messed up. So that brings us to original sin. So original sin, let me ask you guys, give me an answer, what is original sin? Okay, it's the first sin, that's correct. What else? I usually say don't make eye contact, but you guys actually make eye contact. <laughs> usually when I ask questions, people are like... <laughs> Any other ideas? Okay, so here's what it is. So we believe like babies have original sin. So when we baptize a child, we believe baptism washes away original sin. But like when I do a baptism, right, and I've got like little baby Molly, let's say, and let's do Liam, right? Got a little baby Liam. Did I baptize Liam? No. Father Tim did. Let's switch names. No, just kidding. Okay, so baby Liam, when Father Tim baptized Liam, like little baby Liam, you know, he's not picking up and being like, you little sinner. <laughs> right? Babies don't sin. Babies aren't like, like parents might get frustrated because they're like, I never knew a child could do that to a diaper. Holy, you know what? Right? Like, wow. How is that possible? But a baby doesn't choose something wrong and like intentionally, deliberately do that. 
Right? Babies don't do that. But we believe a baby has original sin. Here's what original sin means. Original sin does not mean you did something wrong. It means something is wrong. That's what original sin means. It means that you and I were born into a world where things are not the way they're supposed to be. Um, I don't know how anything could be more obvious than that. It shouldn't be rocket science. Basically, all civilizations everywhere have always believed this is the case. Um, so, what we believe is your soul, right? You could slice it different ways, but an easy way to talk about your soul is your soul has three powers. So you have an intellect. What does your intellect do? What does the power of your intellect do in your soul? Sorts out facts and lets you determine an outcome. Okay. Yeah. I mean, good. It sorts out facts, lets you determine an outcome. It's it's how you know, right? It's the power of knowledge. You also, in your soul, you have what we call the will. What does your will do? Try to do something. Not to do, but to choose. Right? By the way, I don't know if, if you think back to when we talked about God's existence. That whenever someone doesn't believe in God or the spiritual life, but only in physical things, always, 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 they will end up telling you that those two things are illusions. People I respect, who I disagree with, but I respect, for instance, the, the easiest name for me is always Sam Harris. I have respect for Sam Harris on certain issues. Sam Harris will tell you that you think you chose to come here tonight, or you chose not to do something you knew was wrong, or you chose to be heroic and serve someone, but actually that was an illusion. What actually happened was a bunch of neurons fired in your brain, which caused a chain reaction, and you did not make a choice to do any of those things. If you, if you believe that you and I have the freedom to choose things, you will end up believing that we have a soul that is not physical. People have been trying to disprove this for thousands of years. It's impossible. The only way you can have free will and that you can have an intellect is if you have a soul that is not physical. What about mental illness? Like you said that it's mm -hmm. schizophrenic. I mean, it's not a choice. I love that you asked that. Yeah, that's, that's correct. That's not a choice. So if people have mental illness or schizophrenic, um, that's not a choice. That's correct. So the, the Catholic teaching on this, by the way, is called hylomorphism, which is this fancy Greek word that means that your body and your soul are not like, it's not like a car and you're the driver of the car. And like, so your soul is like you in the car. It's not like that. It's more like, um, what would be a good analogy? It would be like a tree and the fact that the type of, that the matter that makes up that tree is tree matter. Um, 
I know that didn't help. <laughs> but, but basically what I'm trying to get at is that they're inseparable. And this is, by the way, the definition of death is the separation of the body and the soul. Um, so what we believe is that your soul is, is connected to your body, right? Like we know, for instance, so one of the, why does Sam Harris think we don't have an intellect or a will? Is it partially, and it's much deeper than this, but partially a basic observation is that when you make a decision, things happen in your brain. Now, Aristotle has no problem with that, nor does St. Thomas Aquinas or any other Catholic. Aristotle wasn't Catholic, he was a pagan. But, um, but because we've always believed that your soul and your body are perfectly united, but they are not the same thing. So this is another bad analogy because I can't think of a better one. But if you think of like, um, no, that's just, I don't know, that's just bad. I'm just not going to give another analogy because I'm going to make a bad one. But they're united, but they're not the same thing. And so, so when Adam and Eve fell... Something affected the world. It affected the physical world, but it can't affect the physical world without affecting the spiritual world. Because you are not a body with a soul. And me, I am not, Father Brian is not a body with a soul or a soul with a body. I am a perfect union of a body and a soul. That is who I am, or what I am at least. Okay, so we'll. Um, and then you have passions. And when I talk about passions, I like to say, you know, think of the word passive. When you think about passions, right? Like with, the, with your will, that's active. You choose something, right? Should I go to RCIA tonight or should I um, smoke crack? And you said, I'm going to choose to go to RCIA, right? Um, it's a good choice. The... Uh, Passions are things you didn't necessarily choose. So passions are movements of your soul where you something happens within you, but you didn't necessarily choose it. So fear is a passion. Different types of desires are passions, right? Like when I, when I'm, there's just something that happens to me usually at about 10 o'clock at night where something just desires gelato. I didn't choose that. It's connected to my body, by the way, right? Obviously. Um, but that's, that's a movement. So fear is one. Anger is one. Attraction is one. Um, those are movements. Okay. Original sin. Here's what we believe about it. What original sin did is it uh, distorted all three of those things inside of you. They're all three, by the way, so good. They're all, all three of those are good. You have all three of them. And they do work, and they are good, all three. But they pull a little bit. Um, so, what happened when Adam and Eve fell is the human beings, your intellects became a little bit darkened. So the way you understand things and you can intellectually grasp things isn't as clear and as powerful as it would have been otherwise. The easiest way to see this is in other people. Right? Maybe it might be in yourself, right? But like but we, we believe as Christians, like 
like there are people I will talk to and I'm like, this is painfully obviously true, but they just can't see it. Um, so our intellects, and, and we would have had greater intellects. We would have been able to perceive things more clearly, more easily. Our will um, is weakened. This is the easiest one to see, by the way. Um, maybe the same one, too. But your will is weakened, right? So a famous passage about this is Romans chapter 7. St. Paul says, The good that I do want to do is what I do not do. But the evil which I do not want to do is what I do do. So that which I do want to do, I do not do. And that which I do not want to do is what I do do. Who will save me from this body of death? Thanks be to God who redeems us in Christ Jesus, right? Your favorite passage and mine. Romans 7. But here's, here's in layman's terms, my favorite way to illustrate this is from Father Peter Musset. Good friend of mine, Father Peter. Father Peter Musset always tells the story of like him sitting on the couch. This probably happened more than once. He's sitting on the couch, and he has a cart, carton of double-stuffed Oreos. And I, I'm a gelato man, so I don't relate, but whatever. Double-stuffed Oreos. And Father Peter's on the couch, and with his intellect, he knows that he was a good priest that day. It's been a long day. And he can have two double stuffed Oreos. Two. So he makes, he, with his intellect, he sees the good of two double stuffed Oreos. Um, and, and we'll just tie all three of these together. Your passions, what happened in the fall, your passions became disordered. So, um, so Father Peter's on the couch. It's a long day. He's a good priest. He knows he can have two double stuffs. But an hour later, the carton's gone. Right? He's got a bellyache, and he feels like he is no longer a good priest. I don't know. Whatever. He's our will. We know the good. Right, and you like right, so our intellect tells us what is good, what we should do. Here's what I, I see is right, that's what I should do. Your will is what chooses it. All of us in this room have had many times the experience of I know this is what's right, but I can't do it. You have a weakened will. I know that I should be nice to that person next to me at work. But they are a total dillweed. And they deserve what's coming to them, right? <laughs> and, so, and so, like, you give them the cold shoulder, which I'm an expert at. I've developed that art quite well. Um, and I know it's wrong. I'm like, I should love that person. Jesus, I know. I know I should do that. I'm just not strong enough. So that we can will. That's original sin. Original sin is not you did something wrong. Original sin is something's wrong inside of you. Nothing should be more obvious than that. Your passions became disordered, right? Nobody likes to admit this. It is true for every single one of us, including me. You desire things that you should not desire. And even good things you desire, they sometimes tend to be, they tend to get twisted, right? 
So when I was a missionary, we had this giant front window in our house, and I don't know why, but I just wanted to break it with a chair more than anything <laughs> ever. It would have been so fun. I never did, right? That's an innocuous example. But here's the other thing. We all have other desires, right? St. Augustine says that our sexual desire was really skewed by the fall. Pornography in our culture is a bigger industry than all of major league sports combined. Combined. The third largest company on the internet is a producer of pornography. St. Augustine says that when we fell, he says the deepest part of our passions that were touched were our sexual desires. I just think that's true. I just do. Um, I've got one more piece on this, and we'll do questions if we have time. We didn't even get to Noah. Please remind me next week we'll get to Noah. Here's what I think is one of the most powerful things. So why did this happen? St. Augustine, again, you will hear me quote St. Augustine all the time. St. Augustine is one of, he is my favorite saint, and he is like reading someone who's wrote in the 5th century and saying like, oh my gosh, this speaks to who I am more deeply than anything I've ever read. That's incredible. So St. Augustine's the greatest mind of his time. And what he says is, why, why did this happen? And by the way, can I just, let me do two points. What, what, what you usually do, when you get in a dispute with someone, you get in an argument. What, what all of us do is we say, they're like, someone's arguing with you, and you're like, well, why do you think this? And you're like, well... Because I use my intellect and like clearly like I grasped this is what is true. So I chose what is true and my passions, my fears, my desires followed in line and I am passionate about this because it is true and I have chosen it. Bullshit. <laughs> right? Sometimes that's true. Part of redemption, part of what God wants to do in your life is to restore this to the way it's supposed to work. What happens, and we all know this, imagine someone you don't like right now. Think of somebody you don't like. And I know what you're thinking of. I love everyone, Father Brian. <laughs> no, you don't. <laughs> imagine someone you don't like right now and imagine them saying something really true. How are you likely to receive that? Not very well because you're a sinner, right? Because <laughs> you have original sin. When someone I don't like says something really true, I, you know what happens? Is I'm like, I don't like you. So I have decided you're wrong, and I will use my intellect to destroy you. <laughs> right? That's never happened. We just had an election. <laughs> sin. This is how we, we don't operate that way on everything, but we're tempted to operate that way. So St. Augustine says this, and I love this. He says, why, why did this happen? Why is our soul, why is something wrong with my soul? Why are the things I know are right, why do I not love them more? Why do I not love serving the poor? Why do I not love forgiving my enemies? Why do I not rejoice in people's good? Why, why is it that when, like, another great example from my life is that priests tend to be jealous of each other. 
So people come up to me and they're like, Father Brian, have you met Father so-and-so? He is amazing. Now what I should do, because I know it's right, is I say, praise God. Because he is an amazing priest. I love that guy so much. I have chosen to love him, and my heart rejoices, and my passions are so just happy right now. Instead, I'm like, he's a loser. I'm better than him. And I'm like, huh? Uh -huh. That's messed up. Something's wrong with me. Something is wrong in my soul. We all, this is not me, this is not you. This is universal human experience. So St. Augustine says the reason this happened is because when God created the world, the highest thing that exists, the highest being that exists, is of course God. And when Adam and Eve sinned, and we're going to talk about this, um, they are creatures, and so they're below God. They're good. God created them very good. Um, but what happened, and we're, oh gosh, I wish we had more time there. I want to talk about this more, but we'll have to pick it up next week. But anyway, what happened is that the lower being rebelled against the higher being. And as a consequence of that, the lower power in our soul, your passions are good. You're actually supposed to feel fear sometimes. It's a good thing. Right? If, if a lion is chasing you, feeling fear is a good thing. It protects you. But the lower power rebels against the higher. Just as man rebelled against God. And if you want to understand the world and you want to understand yourself, this is me right here. My higher, the, I know intrinsically, all of us know intrinsically, the way that I'm supposed to operate is my, like people say to me all the time, like, I just feel like this is right. And like as a pastor, you can like, people take your words more seriously than other people sometimes. So you have to be gentle. But people are like, Father Brian, I just feel like this is right. And what I always want to say is like, that's not the power that tells you what's right. Your feelings don't tell you what's right. Your intellect does. It doesn't mean you're smart. It doesn't mean you read the Encyclopedia Britannica. It just means you thought and you saw something that was true with your intellect. Your feelings don't tell you what is true. Your intellect does. But in the fall, our passions want to run the show. It's not that I know that this is the kind of life I should live and it's a better life, so I'll choose it is that I really, really want to have a life full of pleasure and power and prestige. And so my passions are going to dictate where we're going, and I will force my will and my intellect to obey. Um, again, this isn't like every decision we make, you know? There, there are many decisions we make where it's, not op where it's operating more correctly, but all of us resonate with this. So something's wrong. Next week what we're going to talk about is why, why did God choose Abraham and Noah? 
Why did he choose Israel? What is that about? Why didn't he choose Canada, as I say every year? Why not the Canadians? What is that about? And we're going to talk about how God's plan through Israel and culminating in Jesus is for the entire world. And it's going to set things right. Glory be to the Father, to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Thanks, everybody. It's always good to see you guys. I'm always amazed to come back. Thanks for being here. Thank you.